Well, good morning, church. How you doing today? Man, that's good to hear you guys. It is so good to have some of you here in this room and join us online. And if you are newer to us, whether in person or online, I just want to say once again, welcome. We are glad you're with us. Now, usually I would jump straight into the message, but today I want to just pause for a moment, take a, a brief moment to cover some family business, some church family business, and talk to you a little bit uh, about our church budget. Woo! Rousing, right? But this is for those of you who call this place your church home, who are with us regularly, who uh, you are here. This is where you participate and worship on a regular basis. Now, church, it is great to be part of a church that is generous in the way God intends. Great to be part of a place where so many of you are more than generous to OCC. And your generosity is making an eternal impact in the lives of people right here at this church, in this community, across our nation, and on the other side of the globe. Because your generosity is funding ministry and changing lives for God's sake in all of those places. So I'm excited to be part of that with you. I'm excited for those of you who partner with us. And each year, our church leaders work hard to craft a budget that honors God and stretches our faith while at the same time being fiscally responsible. Sometimes those things feel like they're in tension with one another because the mission we're on is bigger than any of us. It's more than any of us can accomplish on our own or even collectively without God's help. So we want a budget that stretches our faith and nudges us to lean into God and trust God. While at the same time, we want to be fiscally responsible and not careless. And so I think we've arrived at a budget for next year, for 2022, that does that. And that budget reflects the kingdom impact that we hope to make in this community and in this world. So I want to invite you at the end of the service to grab one of these. It's a copy of the 2022 budget overview. It doesn't give all the details, but it gives you the info you need to have and lets you know where the money will be spent in the coming year. Now, even more important than what's on the front is what's on the back side of this, which is a prayer guide. And it just has something for you to pray each day of the coming week for our church and what that budget will allow us to do. So I encourage you to grab one of these on your way out at the Next Steps counter if you are one of our regular participants. You'll also get this emailed to you tomorrow. So if you forget to grab it today or if we run out of copies, don't worry, you'll be getting one in your email inbox. And next week, you will have the opportunity to affirm that budget. Now this is really important. I want to make sure we all understand what affirming the budget means. Because a lot of times we would look at something and say, oh, yeah, that's good. I think you should go do that. And that's not what this is. It means when you affirm it, you say, I think it's something we should do. And it means that you are giving your pledge to help make those budget numbers a reality to fund ministry here and across the world through OCC. It means you're going to partner with us, giving your tithes and your offerings first and foremost, giving your first and best to the church, bringing your first fruits here, and being generous beyond the tithe with other ministries in this world. And it means you're going to give those undesignated so the money can be used in the places that it's most needed and where it's most helpful, trusting your church leaders. And then this is the biggest part. It means you'll participate with us and partner with us to help everyone find and follow Jesus. Because ultimately, that's what the budget is all about. 
All right, back to our regularly scheduled programming. <clears throat> you know, last week we kicked off our Christmas series called Colors of Christmas. And we looked at red last week. Today we're looking at blue. And I got to let you know, I love Christmas. It's one of my favorite times of the year. It's one of my favorite seasons. And, and I get really excited about Christmas. In fact, I'm a pretty excitable guy. I get excited about a lot of things all the time. Probably where's my family. I know where's my family at. My wife is like, oh my goodness, just calm down a little. I get excited about the littlest things. I love driving around looking at Christmas lights. I love the Christmas music. Like the day after Thanksgiving, sometimes it's just right after the Thanksgiving meal. The Christmas music is on in the car. It's on in the house to an annoying level with those who live with me and are closest to me. But I love Christmas. And I love the festive songs of the season. And I hope you do too. I think most of you probably do. We could, I, I could probably start singing some of those festive Christmas songs and you would chime in with me. We, we could probably take an entire service and just sing the old carols and the new fun ones. And, but have you ever noticed that sometimes, oftentimes mingled in with all the merriment of the season, there's a significant number of sad songs for this season. I think of Wham! and their classic, Last Christmas I Gave You My Heart. And the very next day, what happened? You gave it away. Man, that is not a Merry Christmas song. Like what, you know? Or I think of Bing and the crazy, or the, the great classic, Bing's, it's not crazy, it's a good song. But Bing's song, I'll Be Home for Christmas, sounds so hopeful, so joy-filled, such a beautiful song. But you ever catch the sad tone in the last line, if only in my dreams? Well, I hope to be there, but I might not. Or, you know, the Eagles had that great catchy song, Please Come Home for Christmas. And he's begging his girl, hey, sweetie, just come home for Christmas. But if you can't make it by Christmas, please at least be here by New Year's. And then you got the more updated Christmas sad songs. Taylor Swift singing, I know this shouldn't be a lonely time, but there were once Christmases when you were mine. Poor girl, all alone at Christmas. And of course, there's that song by Elvis that goes perfectly with today's theme, singing it out. You know, you'll be doing all right in your Christmas of white. But as for me, I'll have a blue, blue Christmas. Doesn't it take everything you have not to try and sing that in an Elvis voice when you say that? But you know, man, this is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, and it is. But it doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always feel that way, we know, because for a lot of people, it is sad. It is a challenging time. That There's something a little bit missing from it. You know, apparently a lot of the songwriters forgot that it's supposed to be a merry Christmas, and it's their job to help bring the merriment. Instead, they just sing of the blue. And even though it's the most wonderful time of the year, it doesn't always feel that way because of what is happening. You know, in our world, we have those people that we just can't control. Sometimes it's ourselves. A lot of times it's ourselves. But we look around us, and, you know, if your marriage is a little strained and struggling, then during the Christmas time, it just accentuates the sadness. If your family isn't quite getting along at Christmas, those gatherings seem forced instead of fun. When Home Alone is more than just a movie title, but it's your reality, it can be tough. And then there are those problems that we just can't solve. Sometimes it's the financial problems. I, most of the people I know want to be generous at Christmas time, and they want to provide things for their family and their friends and, and even people who are hurting. But to do that 
might mean increasing debt, which brings decreasing joy for them. Then there's the health challenges. Do you remember that one Christmas season where we all ate right, we got really fit, and we lost weight together? Yeah, me neither. (laughs) It just doesn't happen, right? Like, serving up broccoli is not a Christmas thing, right? I mean, it's got the right color, but it's the wrong food. Give me the... You know, give me the icing on the cookies instead. Even the environment works against us this time of year. It strikes me that just a few days before Christmas, we have the shortest day of the year in our region. We get like three hours of sunlight and the sun goes down at about 3 p.m., right? I mean, you go to work, it's dark, you come home and it's dark, you're like, what in the world? Am I living in Alaska? This is terrible, right? I just, the environment works against us. And then there's all the expectations that we can't meet. And the higher the expectation, the lower the disappoint or the greater the disappointment. High expectation, big disappointment. Our expectations only magnify those areas of our lives that are problematic and painful and complete and imperfect. Is it any wonder that the rate of depression increases at Christmas and after for a lot of people? I mean the thing, the distance between what we want, what we expect, and what often is, is so great. They're miles apart. And so friend, if you're feeling any of that sadness, if you feel the Christmas blue this year, and maybe you don't feel like you're drowning in the blue, but maybe there's just enough there that you need a little, little perspective, I'm gonna invite you to text the word blue to that number we use all the time, 502-289-1387. It's okay, you can get out your phone, you can do it right now, and you just text BLUE to that number, and you'll receive a link to uh, a version Bible app. And, and that, uh, it's a Bible devotion. And it'll give you some verses for each day of the week, and it'll give you some thoughts to help guide you and help you navigate through those blue waters of Christmas. So if you're feeling blue, text that number and use that devotional this coming week. Now we know that Christmas actually is the best time of the year. It is the most wonderful time. But it's not because what is happening, it's precisely because of what has already happened. And if there's one thing that we draw from the Christmas story and the account of Jesus' birth, it's confidence that God is in control and God is working things out even when it doesn't feel like it, even when the world is in chaos. Jesus' friend Matthew records it this way. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. I love how straightforward that says it. Mary and Joseph decided they would get married, but they determined not to have sexual relationship until after their marriage. And then one day, Mary turned up pregnant anyway. No big deal. That's a big deal, and we all know it's a big deal. We all know why that stung Joseph the way it did. It's such a biggie. And Joseph was crushed by the news. Mary is his girl. Mary turns up pregnant. Old Joe ain't the guy. Uh Uh-oh, the story speaks for itself. And we don't know exactly when or how Joseph found out. We don't know if Mary was the one who broke the news to him that she was pregnant. We don't know if it came from a family member or a friend. But either way, Joseph found out and he was crushed. He was hurt. And you would be too. Because he concluded the only logical thing that any of us would conclude. 
we're pledged to be married. We haven't done the oinky boinky. And all of a sudden she's pregnant. And we got a little ones in the room, right? So, and so how did this happen? There must be another guy. I mean, that's the conclusion of make. Somebody else must be in the picture. And there's a lot to respect about Joseph and the way he responds to Mary. Joseph, her fiance, was a good man. And he did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. You know, Joseph was hurt, but he refused to be hateful. He didn't do the first century version of dragging her name and her story out there on social media, posting it on Insta and Facebook and lighting her up, doing a smear campaign. He didn't go after her in that way. He didn't seek to bring shame to her or trash her image. Instead, he did his best to save her from embarrassment and to allow her to maintain some dignity in the situation. You know, that's not the popular way of doing things. It's never been the popular way of handling situations like that. But it is always the best way and the right way. And Joseph demonstrated that for us. Now we've got to remember, too, that this did not happen in some big city where, <clears throat> where Joseph and Mary could maybe start hanging out with a different group of people and, and kind of just switch their routine around and hide amongst all the people. No, this happened in their town, their hometown, their small hometown of Nazareth. Anyone here grow up in a small town? Any of you small town people? Let me see your hands. If you're online you grew up in a small town, just type small town person, right? Like I grew up in a small town, my wife grew up in a small town. Oftentimes when I'm driving up Interstate 65 towards Indianapolis, I come through that stretch on 65, and, and if you know this stretch, you know it's named after John Mellencamp, right? And, and usually when we're on that stretch, it's because we're heading back towards Illinois to one of the hometowns, the small towns that we grew up in. And so when I'm there, I just, I can't help but think of the words to that song, small town. You all know the words to small town, right? You know, I was born in a small town, probably going to die in a small town, right? It's not a Christmas song at all. Maybe not even a good song to bring up in church, but it's a song we're all familiar with anyway. So in that song, like, you know, if you grew up in a small town, you know the joys, you resonate with that song. You resonate with all the good things about the small town. But you also know that everything that makes a small town great also can make a small town really difficult. There was no hiding for Mary and Joseph. That everybody knew their story. Everybody knew everybody else. Everybody would talk. They endured the whispers, the shame, the points, the conversation behind the stairs. And you know, small towns have long memories too. 30 years after this occurred, Jesus returned to that small town. The little baby, now a man, now in ministry, returns to preach to his hometown of Nazareth. But when he shows up, they were some of the most, uh, some of the least receptive people to his message. Mark records it this way. They scoffed at Jesus and said, he's just a carpenter. What's this rabbi business? He's the guy who built my table, right? And he's the son of... Mary. Now, normally they would say the son of Joseph. But here they say, oh, we don't know. Joseph didn't seem to be dad. We remember that girl, that young, pregnant, teenage girl, pregnant before her wedding. And we know his sisters, and they live right here among us. And so these people were deeply offended, and they refused to believe in Jesus. 
Now, 30 years before that happened, Mary and Joseph were just two normal kids trying to make a normal life in that tiny little town. And then God stepped in and intervened without asking their permission. Hey, can I come in and make you central players in my story? God often has a way of doing that. He doesn't usually ask our permission. He just does what he will do. And in that moment, then God pulled back the curtain to allow Joseph and allow Mary to see a little bit more of what he was up to. Continuing on in Matthew's account. As Joseph considered this, considered breaking the engagement, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she'll have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus, and he's going to save his people from all their sins. What a game changer for Joseph. That the angel tells him, hey, this story that Mary concocted, she didn't concoct. It's true. It's real. It seems unbelievable, but it's the reality for you. And so here's Joseph saying, oh my goodness, this baby in her really is special, special beyond comprehension, and he's going to save the world. What an awesome thing. Now those angels' words would have undoubtedly reminded Joseph, a good Jewish man, of the words of the prophet Isaiah from 700 years earlier. The virgin will conceive a child. Oh my goodness, the virgin can get pregnant. And she'll give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel which means God with us. What a beautiful picture for Joseph. But even though the angel's message clarified the situation, it did not satisfy the complications and the pain and the challenges of that moment. Toward the end of Mary's pregnancy, Caesar Augustus, who was in charge of that area, he he ordered census in order that everyone travel back to their ancestral hometown to pay taxes. Pretty significant steep taxes. And that was about as inconvenient as imaginable for Mary and Joseph. Go on in the story. Because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. That was about a 70 mile journey. And he took with them Mary, his fiancee, who was now obviously pregnant. Now that's a long ride. But wait a moment. If God is in control, if God's working this out, if this really is the Son of God, if this really is the Messiah, wouldn't it make sense that God says, oh, I'm going to give you a good spot. I'm going to work all these things out. Why would God arrange for this miraculous baby to have to be born in another town and for them to have to travel so far at such a time? Well, Mary and Joseph didn't realize maybe at that moment that God was bringing about an answer to another prophecy, the prophecy from Micah that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But it seems strange, doesn't it? How all these pieces fit together. Don't we often think that a blessing means that God is gonna remove the challenge and remove the cost and remove the difficulty and remove the pain? Like we say, oh, I've been blessed when things work out the way we'd hope they will. We say, oh, I've been blessed when the, the hospital test comes back favorably. We say, oh, I've been blessed when the paycheck comes as it should or somebody gives us a gift. I mean, what a blessing. We don't often refer to the pain or the challenge as blessings. You know, but where did we get this idea that a blessing means there's no trouble, there's no pain, there's no challenge. Where do we get that idea about blessings? I mean, we call our kids blessings. 
leave that there, right? I mean, some blessings are hard. Some blessings are costly. Some blessings are difficult. Some blessings do bring challenge for a season. That God can work even in those times. So friend, when difficult things happen, don't presume that God is not at work in your circumstances. But know that God is always planning for the long term. The problem is, so often we're so caught up playing in the short term that we don't have eyes to see it. But God's always planning for what's ahead, always planning for the long term. And so even when Christmas feels blue, know that God can still be up to something good. You know, God led Joseph to Bethlehem where he was unable to find a place for his wife to stay. And so they ended up in a barn, giving birth to their little baby in a barn and placing him in a cattle trough. Now, I don't know about you other parents in here, you other dads, but I got three kids. When each of my kids were born, I wanted them in like pristine environments. We drove to the hospital. We, we made sure we got to the hospital in a good spot. We made sure it was, you know, clean and sanitary, all that. Like, I mean, you just knew, like, it's going to be the right place to do this. The, the old song says the cattle were lowing, and they probably were. If they laid that little baby in a feeding trough and those cattle had been feeding and you know when they feed they do other things after they eat and that was probably happening in that same spot too that just doesn't seem like the environment i would have ever been okay having my child in i don't think you would have either but god says even in that blue christmas i can still make good of this i can still use this Even though Joseph walked in the center of God's will, it did not prevent him from having some difficult moments and some difficult challenges along the way. You know, when we walk in the center of God's will, it does not exempt us from blue Christmases. It doesn't exempt us from pain or from challenge. See, sometimes life is mysterious and it's messy, even when you're exactly where God would have you be. Sometimes that's the way it plays out. Now, the evil one wants you to conclude from that 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 means God doesn't love you or God doesn't care, that God is not good. But God wants you to know that even through the mess, he is still good, he is still faithful, and he's in control even when your situation may feel out of control. He wants you to trust in him even through those more difficult days. Now, if you follow Joseph's story, you'll discover that this pattern repeats itself several times in his life. Eight days after Jesus was born, they had the baby dedicated at the temple, and then they returned to their hometown of Nazareth. So they had to travel back that 70 miles on a donkey. Man, that's a challenging trip right there, just for Mary and Joseph alone. But when Jesus was a toddler, you know, they had gotten back to Nazareth, gotten back to life a couple years later, doing life as normal. Probably thought all that craziness was behind him. But Jesus is just a little toddler, and God spoke to Joseph in a dream to warn him that Herod, the king, was on the warpath. And as Mark explained to us last week and unpacked for us from the word, Mark did a great job in last week's sermon. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. He explained to us the red of Christmas. How when the Magi showed up to honor and worship Jesus and give him gifts because he was the true king of the Jews, Herod got upset and Herod determined to kill all the boys born at that time period in that vicinity. He wanted to eradicate this king. And when 
Joseph caught wind of this from a warning from God. He took his wife, took his family, took little Jesus, and they fled to Egypt and became refugees in a foreign country until Herod died and it made it safe for them to return. You know, we've been looking mostly at Joseph's story this morning. Because usually we look more at Mary's story. And that's right. That's appropriate. I mean, after all, Mary is the one who gave birth. And Mary's story brings its own set of challenges. And, you know, when my wife was pregnant with our kids each time, nobody would ask me, hey, Fitz, how are you doing? How are the mornings going? You feel very sick? You know, how's it, you know, how is it at home? No, and that was right. And, you know, when Jen was in labor, the hospital staff didn't come into the room and check my pulse and check my temp, see how I was doing, make sure I was okay. Hey, Fitz, you doing okay? You need anything? They probably should have. There was a lot of sweat and my pulse was racing. I mean, there was a lot of things going on in that room and I didn't know. And, and you know, and, and you find this person who you love, you just see a different side of them and the sweetest people on earth can become a little less sweet. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that. She's in the room. I'm, I'm in trouble already by going down this path. Just, you know, they, I probably should have been checked on, but they appropriately focused the attention on her. Well, that's how it was for Mary. I mean, the attention is appropriately focused on her. There was a lot of blue Christmas in her story, all the chatter and the stares in her hometown that long donkey ride with a baby in her belly. You know, when our first child was born, we lived a long way from the hospital. And I made that drive a little bit faster. And I tried to make it as comfortable as possible. You know, set the the temperature in the car and the seat and everything. I don't know how you comfort... Nope, we okay? All right, I don't know how you... Wait, nope. Hold on. All right, Better? Ah, user error. So, so again, don't know how you comfort somebody going through all that, but I tried my best, and we got there, and I'm sure it wasn't that comfortable, but I know that that little car was way better than a donkey ride. That morning, had I have asked my wife if she wanted to ride the donkey, I'm pretty sure I would have gotten in even more trouble. There would have been a lot more blame assigned when we got to that room, finally. But as it were, we got there. Now, Mary's story was challenging at best, and then you have... What the prophet Simeon said at the temple when they dedicated Jesus at just eight days old. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Who looks at the mom of a newborn baby and says, ah, oh, cute kid. People are going to hate him. Like, who does that? I'm sure that's how Simeon talked too. Kind of Mr. T-like, right? I don't know. And, you know, who looks at the mom and says, oh, your child's so sweet. He's going to break your heart. Like, who says that? Why, why would God allow that to happen? Why would God allow such cruel, painful things to be spoken to Mary? The reason is because this is not a fairy tale, but it's reality. Because on a dark day 30 years after that, Mary would stand on a hillside outside of Jerusalem and she would watch her son on a cross. After watching men brutally beat him and drain the blood from his body with whips and nails and hammers and thorns. Why would God allow that prophet to speak those words? Because Mary would stand there and she would see some who believed in her son 
and many who mocked him. And because in that moment, she could recall all those prophetic words from Simeon so long ago, years before her sweet little boy had become a man and the years had flown by. And as final and fatal as it all seemed, she could know that God was up to something and that he would redeem even her bluest of moments in life. And in that moment, on that hillside outside of Jerusalem, she didn't know how. She didn't know when, she didn't know what. But three days later, she did. And she saw what God was up to. Now, friend, one of the great joys of Christmas, the hope of Christmas, is that we know that God has come to us, Emmanuel, God with us, and that we can experience the very real presence of God in our lives. But we also know that for many of you, as aware of you as you are of the presence of God, you also have an acute awareness of the absence of others who've meant a whole lot to you. You know, for some of you, Christmas just feels blue. And so because of that, we want to take a moment and offer some special prayer and reflection to to just dedicate this time in a little different way. You know, we've lit some candles here on the front of the stage. And these, these candles, they represent a lot. They represent that Christ is the light of the world and he came in and his light shines and it takes away the darkness. But in this moment, these candles also represent the lives of ones we loved who are no longer with us. And for those of you joining us at home, online, we invite you, if you have a candle, you want to light it in remembrance, to go ahead and do so now. And I light this one representative for all of us. Then at this moment we know that there are dear ones who are no longer with us, ones who mean so much to us. And these candles represent parents and grandparents, moms and dads, husbands and wives, sisters and brothers, siblings, friends, loved ones all of whom have a story, all of whom matter to you, they matter to us as a church community, all of them loved by God. All of them matter to him. And so our Emmanuel has come. He is our Prince of Peace. But we also know that even in the peace, there's still grief. So we have some names on this screen. Each one of these name with a story real person, a real story with real connections here. And and I'm aware that we may have missed some names, and and especially if you're newer to us and there's a name for you that was not on that list, just be assured that God knows the name. And God knows the story. And God knows your hurt. And God desires to enter in and bring healing and bring hope and restore your pain. Now, for some of you, the blue of Christmas might not be because you've lost someone. Maybe it's because there's, there's a gravesite, even a fresh gravesite, and it's a lonely place. But for some of you, it looks a little different, and, and maybe it's a neonatal ICU or a lonely hospital room, a divorce court, bankruptcy proceedings just distance between you and ones you care for. 
But just know that no matter what the blue of your Christmas is, that that in no way means God has forsaken you, but just the opposite, that God can redeem even the bluest of Christmases. And if we turn to him, that those blue days and those blue moments don't have to be the end. And in fact, there's a much better end and a much better day ahead for those whose hope is in Jesus. So in this moment, we wanna take some time and just pray for any of you, all of you who are hurting, whether it's because you've lost someone close, you're just, you're just feeling the blue of Christmas this year. And so in a moment as we pray, I wanna invite you, if you're feeling that blueness, to take the courage and stand, and just stand with your hands up to receive prayer. We wanna pray for you, with you, over you. For those of you online, you can just sit where you are, just with your hands open to receive prayer. And for the rest of us, if, if you're not feeling that blue, I want you to look around at those who will stand and just extend your hand toward them in a demonstration of God's power and God's presence moving towards them, of a church connected with one another in prayer as we pray for them. You don't have to stand, but I invite you to in a moment. But first, I want to just read from us these words of hope from Luke. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to God's perfect path of peace. Friend, if you'd like prayer, go ahead and stand. Let's pray together now. Father, we're living in the shadow of death. God, we need your peace. For God, you are our help in times of trouble and hardship. You are our comforter. You are our sustainer. And God, in this moment, we pray for those whose hearts are hurting because they've lost someone they love. God, remind them right now that you are with them, our Emmanuel. And send your spirit to help fill that pain in their hearts left by the ones they loved who were gone. And God, for those who just ache at this time, we pray for your healing, that you are the healer. And Lord, we ask you to help us heal and to move forward into the future and the purpose that you have for us. To remember that you can redeem even the bluest of our moments. And God, we thank you. It seems strange to pray thanks as we pray of pain. But we thank you because we know there is hope. Hope in Jesus. Hope for all those who turn to him. Knowing that our lives can be spent forever with you when we trust in the Savior who was born in that manger, who died for us on that cross, who rose victorious over the grave, and who will return for us to take us home. Father, even though there is pain and sadness because of loss in this world, we pray that we will still be able to experience and speak of and sing of the joy that those angels sang about so long ago, the good news of great joy for all of us, that we would rejoice even in the blue. And so, Father, by your tender mercy, we pray that you would guide us into the comfort and the peace that is found only in Jesus, our Savior and Lord. And all of God's people said together, Amen.